Ah, so good morning, Wellspring family and friends. I'm realizing um, a couple of things you might have noticed. I think Pastor Cheryl mentioned this, but I just wanted to say thank you to those who came and um, to, to sort of like a, it was a special work day. It was a special work day because we were going through an eagle project for Alec, who's sitting in the very back. And if you notice, he's sort of up on this little platform. You guys want to turn around? I wish I could draw, like, the camera's attention to it, but, like, he's literally behind the camera. So they built those. They built those so we could get some of our live stream equipment off of the floor. So you'll notice you'll be able to walk around in the back a little bit more, like, trip-free, which is wonderful. Uh, we're still figuring out how to, where to put the second one, but it'll probably be in the back somewhere. But I just wanted to say thank you to those of you who came out and helped with his Eagle Project. It was so exciting that you chose to do it here at Wellspring, and that was a real blessing for us. So it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, this, this past week, I was reminded of a story um, that I came across two years ago. And it was early 2020 when I first read about the beginning of the story. And, you know, COVID was covering the world. And the social media site TikTok was, was becoming a rising star with social media users. And one day as I was scrolling on my phone, now I'm not actually watching TikTok because I'm not quite cool enough to have a profile yet. Um, I was reading about TikTok and I came across this story of this young woman, a project manager in San Francisco. And the story just really caught my eye. I was like, wait, what is she doing? What is going on? And um, despite working full time, just purchasing a house was sort of out of reach. And so um, she was inspired by a story she read online. Her name's Demi Skipper. She's 30 years old. And she decided to trade up for a house using just what she had in her house. <laughs> and she had a bobby pin. Now, for those of you who don't have a lot of hair, a bobby pin is something you stick in your hair. So this is what it looks like. She had one of those in her house, and she posted it to her TikTok uh, account, which had zero followers. Uh, she posted a video of her um, sell, uh, putting this up for trade on Craigslist. Now, who would have known that a year and a half later, 28 trades later, something like 5 million TikTok followers later, she went from a bobby pin to this. A cute little house in Tennessee that she owns outright. <laughs> All because she found people willing to trade one item for another. And this little blessing of a bobby pin grew to be the blessing of this house. And what's so cool is that the story is not over yet. What I read this week is that she is now going to take this house. She's really confident in her skills. She's changed a lot over the last year and a half. And she is now going to be trading this house for a bobby pin for whoever is able to write her the most compelling story. <laughs> so if you want this house, get your bobby pin ready, write your little story. I would be writing it myself, but Tennessee and Honolulu is like a really long commuting distance. So I'm out of the running. <laughs> But today's text, similarly, it has this vision of increasing blessing, of something really small that's good becoming much larger, ending quite large. But instead of a bobby pin being the agent of change, the agent of change to work goodness is a single person. And our text comes from this really ancient world. It comes from some of the oldest passages of scripture we have in the book of Genesis. I just want to remind you of where humanity was at this point in time so many thousands of years ago. Right, the world that God had created, you know, talked about just 12 chapters before. The world God created was good. In fact, it wasn't just good, it was very good. And this is by God's standards. So if God calls something good, it's probably good. <laughs> Now, the first thing God does after creating humans is to bless them. 
blesses them with being fruitful and multiplying and filling or replenishing the earth. So this means not just like the ability to procreate, but also the physical safety needed in which to, to safely and happily bring children to the world. God is blessing them with the abundance of enough to feed them, of more than enough to feed them, and the peace of mind to feel like, hmm, this is a good place to bring children to this world. God is blessing them with resources to share all these things needed for this picture of human flourishing that God gives as God blesses them. Now, as the new humans grew together, they made some choices based on fear, on self-interest, on pride, and it led to this painful separation between humans and God. All on humanity's side. There's disharmony in the world, brother murders brother. There's this unchecked anger, resentment, envy, death enters the world. And God moves to mitigate the effects of this, the effects of this curse of death, as much as God can in the text, right? If you read through Genesis 3, you'll see humans are not cursed. They have to live with the effects of the curse of death all around them, as everyone, including the animals and all created things, we live with death. So instead of being surrounded by blessing, there is this curse of death. There is fear and self-interest everywhere. And God makes it clear that God will not abandon humanity. God will not abandon God's creation. But from Genesis 3 onward, blessing and curse is woven into the story. People multiply, people are born, and they die. So we see this blessing and this curse all the way throughout till we get to Genesis 12. By the time Genesis 12 begins, hope is kind of scarce. Blessing has only been mentioned three times since the beginning of the world. Disharmony is the norm. Then God speaks. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This brings us right away to number one in your notes. Into a world of curse and hurt comes God's plan to bless. Into this world of curse and hurt comes God's plan to bless. Now, we've talked about before how we have this concept in our society that if you're blessed, you're like, hashtag blessed. <laughs> blessed, right? You're blessed if things are going well for you in your life, if you've been able to take that vacation you wanted to take, things are going okay at home, your cars are doing great, right? If by outwardly measures you look like you're succeeding, you're hashtag blessed. Now, this is why when Jesus comes on the scene, right, the son of God, the child of God, Jesus declares people blessed in his Sermon on the Mount who no one would ever consider blessed. He's declaring the poor blessed. He's declaring, you know, the people who mourn are blessed. He's saying that those who hunger and thirst for justice are blessed. So Jesus sort of upturns the expectations of who gets to experience the good life, who God blesses. And Jesus lets us know that sort of our expectations for blessing have become incomplete, like there's more to the picture. But we do get our idea of hashtag blessed from somewhere, and part of our idea for what that looks like actually comes from the Old Testament. And I'm not bashing the Old Testament. There's a picture of blessing found through it that is wonderful. It's just part of the picture. Jesus comes to complete it. So we see the word blessing all the time in the Old Testament. And the, the word in the Hebrew that's used is the word barak. 
And it's this word um, that talks about um, human flourishing, talks about safety when things are in harmony. And um, this is the same word that God uses when God blesses humanity right after God is done creating. And it's also the same word used. It's used hundreds of times in the Old Testament. It's also the same word used when Abraham's servant gets to his destination after a long travel and his camels kneel by the well. It's the same word for blessing as this camel kneeling. The kneeling that the camel does is the word bless. Because the Hebrew word bless, barak, has its linguistic roots in an image of a camel. Not just any camel, there's a cute camel right here, but a camel kneeling or lying down. What? What in the world? What is that about? Perhaps, on one hand, it's an image of safety. If you're, if you're listening online, if you're listening on the podcast and you're like, uh, I don't see any picture of a camel, well, picture one in your mind's eye. Picture it laying down. And as we picture this, let's, let's see what we can get from it. On one hand, an Im- a camel lying down is an image of safety, right? If there was a war or something, that camel would be up, like running, right, with its owner on its back. The camel is a picture of good possibility, right? It's like transportation. You can go somewhere. It means you have options. This camel laying down is a picture of enough, right? It's by water. It's satisfied. It's at peace. It's resting, right? And the the Old Testament uses this word, barak, for bless, this camel lying down, all throughout the Old Testament to describe this picture of human flourishing, of safety, of good possibility. Perhaps they had something else in mind, too, Can you imagine what it might be like for a camel that's shaped a bit like, I don't know, is a camel like a rectangle? No, maybe more like an oval? I don't know, maybe like a triangle? I have no idea whatever shape a camel is. Can you imagine what it would take for that camel to like sit and lie down? Like every year I get a little older, each time I go to the ground to sit by my kids and I get up, like something else hurts. I'm like, oh, I didn't even know I had that muscle, but it hurts now. Like, I don't know what shape a camel is because they are funky-looking creatures, but somehow to get them to kneel has got to be a rather interesting process, that verb of them kneeling. And um, since I've never seen it myself, I've seen, like, elephants lay down. I've never seen a camel lay down. So I had to find someone's description of it online. So let me read it for you. Here's how one witness puts it. The great brutes fall, shifting with a sob upon both their knees. And under doubling their crooked hind legs, they sit ponderously down on their haunches. Then shuffling forward one or the other forney with the grating of the harsh ground under their vast carcass weight, settle themselves. Ooh, that's such a picture, isn't it? This large, sort of unwieldy being slowly descending. This is the action of Barak. This is the action God takes in the text. I can just imagine early humanity trying to picture this wonderful, almighty God slowly descending to meet humanity. This is the action God takes. Meeting us where we are, on our level, for good. In our country, uh, I was reading about recent Gallup polls, how they are featuring, like, the lowest statistics ever of people who say they are happy. I think it's the lowest number in something like 50 years, like down to 19% of the population says they're very happy. And then even worse, like optimism is down too. So people who say that things are going like, okay. And for the first time that these surveys have ever been done, it's below 50%. 
So people around us, even in our own souls, we may sense this. There's all these ideologies out there that are feeding on hopelessness. There's people that are opportunistic, feeding on this feelings of sadness and discouragement. People are struggling with more hours to buy less. There's sky-high records of medical debt. A lot of people, especially young people, are struggling to pay off their student loans and buy a house. Right? It feels like we're living in a world of curse and hurt. We might have different vantage points from where we're coming from. But it can feel like a heavy world out there. So whether it was 10,000 years ago or more to a little family in the ancient Near East, or whether it was 2,000 years ago to a single teenage girl in Nazareth, or whether it's right now in August of 2022, God's plan comes in the midst of the curse and hurt to bless, to bring good into the world now and in the world to come. And friends, you and I are here today because at some point in our life, either we or somebody that we're with today found that God was good. Maybe you had an experience in prayer and you really sensed this transcendence that you're not alone, or maybe you experienced something that you couldn't explain, like you're physically healed. Maybe you just had a warm, a warm sensation in Sunday school when you're a little kid and you felt while you were singing and you you knew you knew that someone who made you loved you. Maybe you came to Christ in college. When you're sort of grappling with what what is meaning in the world and how does this all work together, and you came across someone who had some really good、um, answers to your questions as well as good questions of their own, for whatever reason, maybe you're here today because someone else dragged you along, and that's okay too. Maybe you're listening online; you just happened to come across us. We're here. Most of us are here because we've tasted and seen that God is good. So, the question I want you to think about is: How have I experienced God's goodness? Can I remind myself of this in this world of curse and hurt that I live in all the time? Can I can I actually name some ways that God has been good to me? What are they? I was hoping to pass out post-it notes to each of you, and then I totally forgot. So you don't have any post-it notes? You'll have to make a couple mental notes to yourself. But if you can go home and write it on a couple pieces of paper, reminding yourself this is how God has been good to me. This reminds you of the blessing in the world. This is a great place for us to start. When God comes our way and invites us to partner with God, because number two in your notes, God's good in the world grows with your yes. God's good in the world grows with my yes. God's good in the world grows with our yes. Now, if we're going to look at the text really quickly, it starts out with this really small circle of blessings, this little dot. Abram, God says, Abram, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. Then the circle of blessing grows a little bit bigger. I will bless those who bless you. Right? The blessing has grown to include other people. Oh, and if they curse you, that cursing is just going to fall right back on them. The circle of blessing is growing, and then the circle of blessing expands yet again. In you, Abram, all families of the world will be blessed. Do you see how there's this progression? It starts small, and then it gets bigger, and it gets even bigger. This. Positive accumulation of good、it、starts out with a little bit of good, gets to be a bigger good, and then the biggest good of all. And what sparks all this kind of growing goodness in the world? What、well, comes from verse one? Let's look at verse one. God says, "Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your family, and I can't see the rest of the text in your father's house to a land I will show you." Says my notes. So God asks 
Abram a question. And depending on whether or not he says yes, this blessing can grow because God always blesses the world through other people, through us. That's just how God works. God works through people like you and me and Abram. Now, um, it might just look like a, an easy ask. Like, sure, Abram, just like go and do that. Why wouldn't you? It makes so much sense. All this good will come. But you know what? In some ways, it was kind of a hard task. Like, in, in the ancient Near East culture and society, if, if Abram leaves his country, right, if he leaves his parents, he also leaves his gods behind. He leaves the perceived divine protection by the garden deities of his land. He leaves behind his legacy. He leaves behind the legal protection he enjoyed. Right? Foreigners had no safety abroad, much like these days. Anyone who's moved or immigrated or experienced being a refugee knows that moving is no easy task. It is no safe task, and it was not safe for Abram. He was worried he'd be killed and his beautiful wife would be kidnapped. He, he, was, he was frightened because it was a difficult and dangerous process. And so now he and his family had originated from the city of Ur in modern-day Iraq. And the, the culture of Ur was deeply tied to um, all aspects of their religion. Right, so their arts, their languages, their education, politics, everything was influenced by the local idol cults. And some historians speculate that the major sources of income came from like, production of idols and pilgrims who would come to Ur. So this is where Abram and his family are from, and leaving is risky. Why did he do it? So I was reading some ancient Jewish commentary, and they said they were speculating that maybe Abram grew up in the home of an idol manufacturer. So he knew from early experience the idols were worthless and powerless. So it's a possibility, but we don't know for sure. We don't know for sure why. Perhaps it was something about the call that called to Abram's soul. He's known as a person of faith, and perhaps it was because of his courageous vision of goodness, of flourishing in the world that he and God could do. For whatever reason, he found this vision compelling enough, this vision of God's ever-growing good to say yes to God, to take this risk. And to tell you, after following God a majority of my life right now, I found that a lot of the ways that God works is through small things. It's really through the little things. And I have to be reminded of this a lot, though, because my natural tendency is that God works through, like, special people or through people who have a lot of resources. That kind of tends to be the thing that I, I end up believing, and then I have to remind myself, no, 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 God works through small things. God work can work through you. And this, this, this past week, I came across the story of Raising Cane's founder. I don't know if you guys have been to Raising Cane's. It's like a chicken restaurant. Apparently, it's good chicken fingers. Never been there. Um, so don't, don't say, I, I told you to go there, because I don't know if it's good or not. You can go and tell me. But the story of this, this founder, this owner, Todd, was just so fascinating. Like, like when the, when the stay-at-home order hit, rather than laying off employees, his uh, company hired 5,000 new crew members and distributed $2 million to their current workers to make up for reduced hours. And he didn't take a salary at all when their sales were dipping. And um, when the stay-at-home order took place, like he had his workers, some of them volunteered to make like masks instead of chicken fingers. <laughs> so they literally made like thousands of masks. This is in the Baton Rouge area. And then he donated all this money um, so that people could, uh, so places of worship in their community could get connected with their family at home by helping people get online. So he is just kind of this like fantastic, very interesting guy. Like his whole business apparently gives 25% of what it makes. And the reason why he was in the news this last week is because he had just spent $100,000 on Mega Millions lottery tickets. 
because he said if he wins, he was going to distribute the winnings among his 50,000 employees. That's why I read about him. I'm like, what is this guy doing, Todd? Why are you buying that many lottery tickets? I thought, wow, what a great boss! <laughs> so far, they haven't won. <laughs> But some people are overachievers. Oh my goodness, they're so good at being a blessing. But the truth is, is that you don't have to be something like this amazing self-starter, Todd. Any of us can say yes to God and bring about God's good in the world. And any of us can say yes, because much of the good we see comes from these little small actions that you and I make all the day. Sometimes we don't even notice these little small actions that can grow God's good. I remember after college, Dan and I moved back home here to Hawaii to help care for his dad, help take care of him, and help invest in the family and be near them. And it was a it was a time of closeness for us. It was really meaningful to be together before his dad passed. And no one would have told me, like no one could have told me, that that same community we built around ourselves and our family that we invested in would be the same people that would care for us five years later when our own son was diagnosed. The highly aggressive cancer. It was the same community, the same family that took care of us. After our son died, it was a family in our in our worshiping community who had been impacted by Vincent's story. The Win Kapilani Medical Center for Women and Children. They were doing this whole building project. They actually donated a room in honor of our son Vincent. And I found out later on they donated a room, you know, in the PICU, the pediatric, pediatric intensive care unit. That room cost like a hundred thousand dollars. That's huge. They were moved by our son's story, and they donated this room. And now everybody, every keiki who stays there, every family who's able to be with their keiki, who's able to be together in this room, we're there because our friends were moved by Vincent's story, because we were able to meet these people, because we had moved to Hawaii, we had invested with our family and with our church community, because we said yes to moving here. Who would have known that one little decision could impact so many others? And this happens all the time in our lives in ways even we don't see yet. We have no idea how our yes to God can wind up being a bigger blessing to the community, because God's goodness in the world doesn't just come out of nowhere; it comes out of people like you and me. And yes, Todd, the raising canes overachiever. <laughs> It comes to us saying yes to God, whether it means spending extra time with our grandkids and showing them God's love and presence. It means saying yes to befriending the houseless person who lives outside our house and getting to know them and their story. Maybe it's saying yes to fostering or adopting children, expanding the circle of love. Maybe it's saying yes to asking those in power to treat our water supply with integrity. Maybe it's saying yes to come alongside and share your story of how God has brought good into the world for you. Saying yes to God brings all this good into the world. This past week, I was looking at the story in the New Testament. It was a descendant of Sarah and Abraham. She's sitting beside a well, and Jesus feels like he just has to go through Samaria. He's on his way somewhere else. The text tells us he had to go through Samaria, and she's in Samaria. And on his way there, Jesus. Who says yes to God? Right? He says yes to Holy Spirit in him. He says yes. He finds this woman by a well, this descendant of Abraham, and she's in some ways spiritually lost. She's looking. She has so much to offer, but she's also so held in by shame and pain and blame. And as they speak, they share this—the longest conversation actually recorded in Scripture—is between Jesus and this descendant of Abraham and Sarah. 
something within her stirs. She says yes, somehow yes to opening herself to God. And she she runs back to her to her village, and she brings everybody in the village there. She brings Jesus to them, and Jesus stays in this village for days, and the whole village is transformed. Right? She's actually the very first evangelist in Scripture. This woman in Samaria, hearts are open, shame is undone, relationships are forged. There's forgiveness and new life. Because Jesus said yes to traveling through this area, and the woman at the well said yes to share her growing faith, her growing yes to God with her neighbors. This past summer, we've been on our own journey of bless, our own story, our own journey of sharing, and we've spent the last five weeks looking at five missional practices to share Jesus with our neighbors and change the world. It's called bless. And this is all part of our vision at the time to be a community of of disciples who are mending, equipping, and releasing disciples of Jesus who are beloved in Christ, becoming like Christ, and building with Christ. We'll have to talk about that another day. It's really cool. This idea of bless. We want to be released in the world. What does that look like? Because sometimes for us, we think that sharing our faith or talking to people can be like these relationally awkward conversations with strangers. It doesn't have to be. Bless reminded us that you can begin with prayer. Just think about anyone you want to be, you want God to bless. Then reach out to them and be listening with care. Eat or experience together. Take some time to be together. S, uh, serve, serve with love. Make sure that you're, you're really listening well, you're, you're meeting needs. And then lastly, share your story. Share your story how God has blessed you and listen well. So those are the five missional practices we've been looking at. And um, if you're just tuning in now, that's okay. You can go back and listen into previous weeks, or you can even pick up a bookmark. I believe we have some more left. I can ask Robbie to bring them out um, that remind us of the five missional practices uh, that we can try to make part of our lives. And why did we do that this summer? It's because each of these blessed practices are small ways that you and I can say yes to God. You don't have to use them. You can say yes to God any way you like. But my hope is that each of us this week will be able to say yes in one small way so God's blessing can spill over around us. So our reflection question now is, what's one small way I can commit to bless practice next week? If you're just, if you're just not, not with bless, that's cool. Um, you can ask yourself, what's one way I can say yes to God that will bring more goodness into the world this week? Let's take a little minute to think about that. One way I can commit to a bless practice, what's one way I can say yes to God this week? bring more goodness into the world. Moving to number three in your notes. We've already seen that it's into a world of hurt and curse that God's plan comes to bless. We've seen that God's good grows in the world with our yes, And lastly, number three in your notes, God's heart to bring goodness into this world moves in ever-widening circles of grace. That's a mouthful. God's heart to bring goodness into this world moves in ever-widening circles of grace. Let's like tease this out for a little bit. Can we go back to the text again? Are you okay with that? Come on, let's do okay. Genesis 12, here we are. We have our small circle first, right? We have, I will make of you a great nation. I will make your name great, right? We have that. Then we have the circle getting bigger. God's saying, I will bless those who bless you, right? And then we have the big circle. In you, Abram, all the families of the world will be blessed. So we have these increasing goodness. But you know what? There's another way to look at it too. Not just that the blessing is getting bigger, but the circle is getting bigger. 
right? Because at the beginning, Abraham alone is blessed. Then his name is used as blessing. His blessers are blessed. You see how more people are being included? It's not just more goodness, it's more people. And lastly, all families of the world find blessing in Abraham. Yes, there is growing goodness, but guess what? There's also growing people included by these ever widening circles of grace. And friends, this is how God works. From the very beginning to the very end, God works with starting small and then opening up the circle to include. I mean, one of the things that actually I had a hard time with with this text is that God gives this whole blessing to Abram. And I'm like, what about Sarah? She's just like sitting in the tent back there. What about her? Where is she? She has to move too. Actually, her son, it's her son who's going to be the one to be part of the blessing. Man, man, that kind of hurts. And sometimes when we enter into the text, right, we're entering into a world that was patriarchal. That was simply the culture of the day. We are entering into a world of primogeniture. This means law of the firstborn, which means that the head of the family, the, the male, would bless the the firstborn male, and they would receive the birthright, they would receive the blessing. This is simply how all the cultures of that day worked. So ancient Near East did it too. Now, God works right where we are. Remember that, that camel kind of coming down to meet the ground? God works within the messy realities of our day, all of it, right? God doesn't like, you know, doesn't want to get God's hands dirty. No, God is right there in the dirt. So God is working in the culture of the day, and God is also working to subvert it. Because if you keep reading through Genesis, you're going to see a lot of primogeniture getting subverted, right? Like before long, the, the youngest are leading the way. Like Jacob, it's Jacob, the youngest, who receives the blessing, not Esau, the eldest. Ooh-ooh. Rachel, the youngest, is loved and proposed to first before Leah, the oldest. Joseph, the 11th born receives the family blessing, not Reuben. And it's Judah, the fourth born, who through Tamar's intervention is chosen to be part of the royal lineage of David. And then from David to Jesus. The list goes on and on. Primogeniture is being subverted here, there, and everywhere because God gradually worked within the culture of their day to subvert their expectations of who is blessed. Right? As we mentioned, it's patriarchal, right? Abraham's blessed, right? He receives God's invitation. But we get to see some of how God subverts this through time, where his humanity grows and matures. And one day we get to the day that it's a young woman's yes to God that transforms everything. Not just all families of the earth blessed through her, but all of creation itself, all of it, all the cosmos, John talks about, all set to be transformed set to be overturned from the curse of death into God's newness of life, because God works in ever-widening circles of grace. And these ever-widening circles of grace and inclusion, they're great news for those people who are being included, but they're often perceived by those on the inside as something to be avoided. Like, what? You're going to make the circle larger? I mean, patriarchy, it is not impressed. Patriarchy is not thrilled when God's newness breaks in in the early church. And suddenly, there are women pastoring like Chloe. They are prophesying like the four sisters in Acts 21. They're serving like Dorcas. They're planting churches like Lydia. They're teaching men like Priscilla. We have women elders like Phoebe and apostles like Junia. The circle is growing. This is how God works. 
starting small like a mustard seed, working in the messiness that we have, and working to subvert that so that God's good can be there too. Of course, sometimes we close in the circles, right? The wagons close in, patriarchy strikes back. By the time we get to Augustine, who is an influential teacher in the church in the fourth century, the church has closed its ranks. Augustine even taught that women were not even made in the image of God. That, that influenced, influenced church teaching for a really long time until God could break in again and be like, oh, nope. <laughs> right? God opens the circle wider as God wills. Sometimes religion, religion closes a circle. Exhaustion closes a circle, too. I don't want to really meet someone new again. I'm getting tired. Accepting the ever-widening circles of God's grace invites us to pay attention to how we are. What is stirring in us? Is there a wound in me that needs to be healed? Do I feel left out? What in me is not rejoicing that the circle is being made wider so God's blessing can even include those people? Jesus shared this one story of blessing and of God's widening circles of grace. It's also a hard story. It's one of the harder stories Jesus tells. It's in Matthew 20, and Jesus is sharing parables, these little, these poignant stories about what the kingdom of God is like. What, what is it like? And he says that there's this landowner who went out early one morning to this place in the market where day laborers were waiting. So they were waiting there so they could have, have a job for the day. He went out there very early in the morning, and there's a bunch of people there, and the landowner um, invited them to work in his field and negotiated with them a price. What price do you want to be paid? They agreed on the living wage of one denarius. And so the workers went with the landowner, and they went and they worked in his field. But there was still more room in the field. So the landowner went out again at 9 a.m., went to the same place in the market, and there were people there. There were people there waiting to be hired. So he hired them, brought them back. And then the landowner went out again at noon and at 3 p.m. and at 5 p.m. The landowner kept going out, finding more people and bringing them back to the field. And at the end of the day, right, the sun's going down. It's time for them to get paid. They line up. They line up with the people who had been there the shortest were at the very front of the line. And they, they get to the landowner, landowner pays them one denarius. And then the people who were there since 3 p.m. get paid one denarius. People who were there since noon get paid one denarius. People who were there since 9 a.m. get paid one denarius. It's, it's the answer is one denarius. They all get paid. Yes, and then the people who had been there since the break of day, the answer is the same. They all get paid they all get paid the same. Oh my goodness. And the people who had been there since like 5 p.m., they are overjoyed. What? I get, I get to be included in this blessing of a living wage, a full day's work? And the people who were there since 7 a.m., they not so happy. <laughs> I've been working all this time, and this is not capitalism, folks. <laughs> I've been working all this time, and you are not giving me more? So you can imagine how Jesus' you know, first hearers felt. They probably, some of them were like, yeah, and some of them were like, huh? And some of them were like, mm, not happy, depending who you identify with in the story. So at the end of the story, the landowner goes to the people who are unhappy and says, friend, love how the landowner calls them friend. Friend, why are you upset? We, we agreed on this wage together. Or are you envious because I'm jealous? Are you jealous because I am generous? 
another G-sounding word. Are you envious because I'm generous? Why are you upset? That's a good question for those of us. Some of you are coming in and you're in God's widening circle of grace and you're like, yay, I'm so happy to be here. And for that, we celebrate because God is happy too. And some of you have been here for a while. You've been working in God's field for a while. You've been a Christian for a while. You feel like these circles keep opening up, but it's not fair. What about you? Are you seen? This is a good invitation to be listening to our own soul. God, what in me needs to sense your love and your care so that I can grow to be a healthy person who is happy when everybody are in the circle of grace, when God's blessing grows and grows so that I can rejoice. I can rejoice that other people have found the same goodness I have. Because friends, it's into this world right here this world of curse and hurt that God's plan comes to bless. God brings ever-growing good in the world through your yes, through my yes, through our yes. And then ever since the very beginning, as God works to undo the curse itself, right? We, we find out later on in Scripture that Jesus becomes the curse to undo death itself. All the way from the beginning, from the end, we see God's heart for these ever-widening circles of blessing, of grace. Reflection question as we close is, as we see the larger circles, reflection question is, am I open to widening the circle with God? Am I open to widening the circle with God? I had this picture of a protractor a couple slides ago. There it is. I don't know if you guys are, it's actually a compass, where you would have you know, one part of the compass. This is a school supply back in the day when I had to go to school. My backpack uh, is not here from when I was in school, but if it was, it would have had one of these things in it. Um, one, one end is a short, sort of a pokey end, and it stays anchored in the, the paper. The other one has a pencil in it, and you can draw it wider or wider or smaller. And the thing is, God's love is a little bit like this compass stays anchored in God's own identity, in who God is. And then God keeps drawing these ever-widening circles. Am I open to this? Am I open to expanding the circle of blessing with God? Why or why not? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are a God who works in the mess, who descends down to our level and gets in the dirt, and who works for good. In this world where so many people who say they work for us uh, actually have their own agendas, in this world where there's so much manipulation and power is so often used against people, thank you for using your power to be with us, to transform this place that was so good to a place where there is goodness still. Lord, for whatever place in our heart where we need your, your circle of grace, where we need your blessing to reach us, we need um, your heart of goodness. Lord, we, we invite you into that space right now. If we're one of those people that are so excited to be included, Lord, thank you. We pray that that excitement will be contagious. For those people, Lord, those of us who've been around a while, hmm, the idea of widening a circle of blessing feels difficult. I pray that you would come and meet our needs, that you would listen to us, that you would call us friend, and that hearing you descend to our level 
work with the messiness of our hearts, would inspire us to be like you, a generous God. And all the ways that our communities around you around us, need to know your generosity, need to know your blessing, need to know the goodness of a life lived with you. I pray that you would empower us through your Holy Spirit, that we could say yes to you in big and in small ways this week and always. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.